It's always just so epic. <laughs> well, good morning, everybody. Uh, it's great to see you. Uh, in case you don't know me, my name's Josh. I'm the youth and worship pastor here. Um, again, it's great to see you guys. The morning, uh, this morning, we're going to be continuing in our series in Romans. So you can go ahead and open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 2. Um, now, we're going to be in Romans until like July. Um, so if you look under your seats, we have actually provided some awesome Romans journals that have the scripture on one side and room to journal on the opposite side. Um, so you can take advantage of those if you want, yours to keep. Um, so while you're turning to Romans 2, I'm going to tell you guys a little story. So a few years back, um, I had the privilege of attending Sunshine Fest in Wilmer, Minnesota. Has anybody ever been to that before? Just me this time? Oh, yeah, he was over there last time too. <laughs> um, so yeah, we went to, my, my siblings and I went to Sunshine Fest in Wilmer, um, if you don't know what that is, it's a festival for Christian bands, and there's just, there were like dozens and dozens of bands that would come to that, and you just pay one, one fee and go for a few days, and um, so me and my siblings went up and stayed in a camper without air conditioning, and it was great. Um, <clears throat> so again, there was, there was a ton of bands there, but one I was especially looking forward to was the David Crowder Band, before they broke up, and now they're just Crowder, they were the David Crowder Band. Um, one of the nights, uh, we decided to just take a break from the shows and get some air conditioning, um, so we went to go see a movie at the local movie theater. Um, and this just happened to be the same week that The Dark Knight premiered in theaters. So uh, we got to go see that, and we were pretty pumped about it. Um, we got in line, and lo and behold, David Crowder and his whole band were in line with us to go see the movie. So we actually got to watch it with them, um, it was a dark room, so really it was way cooler sounding than it actually was. Um, and then they like hightailed it out of there, so we didn't actually get to see them. But they were there, and uh, so it was, the company was great, um, but we were actually even more blown away by the movie itself. If you haven't seen it, you have to. Like, it's, it's on your list as you leave this place to go watch The Dark Knight if you haven't seen it yet. Um, it's easily the best Batman movie ever, if not the best superhero movie ever, and I will fight you on that. Um, so it's just, it's a great movie, great writing. Um, <clears throat> anyway, people see the Joker as the best character in this movie. And he does steal the show, but one character also stands out, and I think he might arguably be the most compelling character in the movie, and his name is Harvey Dent. Um, Harvey is, he starts as the Gotham District Attorney, um, but eventually he loses his mind and turns into the villain named Two-Face. Um, when his fiancée Rachel is killed in an explosion um, set by the Joker, <clears throat> while Batman chooses to save Harvey instead of Rachel from suffering the same fate. So he had a choice, he had to choose Rachel or Harvey, and chooses Harvey. Um, <clears throat> so after that, Harvey walks away with extreme burns on one side of his face and becomes obsessed with this concept of chance, right? So he goes on this killing spree to avenge Rachel, and near the end of it, he delivers this line to Batman and Commissioner Gordon. Um, <clears throat> so it starts off with, you thought we could be decent men and in, and in indecent time, and you were wrong. And then the rest of it says this. It says, the world is cruel, and the only morality in a cruel world is chance. Unbiased, unprejudiced, fair. Such great writing. Um, so despite his insanity, um, he actually almost gets that principle right. 
Um, the world is cruel, but the only morality in a cruel, cruel world is God's standard, unbiased, unprejudiced, fair. So I had a little fun with some Photoshop there. <clears throat> Deep stuff, I know, but that's what Romans is all about. So let's dig into Romans chapter 2, starting with verse 1. So to remind you before we get into it, we just finished chapter 1, where Paul is telling the church in Rome that though they know God's righteous decree, that those who participate in these certain practices are living in sin and deserve condemnation, they not only practice those things, but they also give approval to those who practice them. So that's the last thing he said in chapter 1, and that's where we pick up uh, in verse 1 of chapter 2. It says, Therefore you have no excuse, O men, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, who you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you'll escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. All right, so our first point is this. <clears throat> God's standard is for everyone. That's verse 1 through 5, this little chunk. So in verses 1 through 5, Paul, um, culturally, he's, he's likely addressing secular moralists like Seneca. Don't get too excited, ISU fans. It's not Seneca Wallace. Um, not the ISU quarterback, the mentor to Emperor Nero. Um, and also Jewish critics who believe that they could live a moral life absent of faith in Jesus, basically. But then they also turn around and judge those who practice immoral and simple things. So Seneca specifically would call people out for living immorally, but it's believed that Seneca, who, remember, is the mentor of Emperor Nero, Seneca stood by and let Nero kill his own mother in order to take over power and marry his mistress. And Jewish critics were known for being hypocrites too. So neither of them had a leg to stand on when they essentially said that they could be decent men in an indecent time. <laughs> it's easy to look at verse 1 of that section and see see it as a proof that we're not supposed to judge others. So it says there in verse 1, Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another you condemn yourself. So it's like that, that modern phrase that's not actually in the Bible of like, I don't know, don't judge. <laughs> um, or you'll be judged or whatever. True, but that's not the whole thing. Judging someone isn't what condemns us. It's our hypocrisy. Because the rest of that statement is, Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. So it's not judging that person that condemns you, it's then doing those same things and being a hypocrite. Your hypocrisy 
is what condemns you. So Seneca and the Jewish leaders, while arguably were doing a better job than others at following God's standard, they still sinned just like the rest of us. And even did some of the very things that they were condemning, right? So we do the same thing today. It seems like our culture right now is just hell-bent on beating other people down in order to feel better about ourselves and build ourselves up. All you have to do is spend five minutes in the comment section on Facebook, which is a scary place to go, by the way. Um, And you'll find keyboard warriors who tear people limb from limb using language that they wouldn't dare pull out in a conversation with somebody face-to-face just to make them feel horrible about their opinions and their actions. And then you click on their profile, and it takes about three seconds to see that they are a total hypocrite. And even if they aren't doing the things that they're calling out, they're still missing God's standard in about a hundred different ways that you're not seeing. And that's just what they're allowing people to show on Facebook. They're putting their best face on Facebook. And you can already see so much going on. Guys, oftentimes the loudest people on the internet are the ones that are dealing with the most shame and guilt for their own actions. Fact of the matter is, nobody's perfect. Nobody meets God's perfect standard. God's standard is consistent. We are anything but consistent. That's why we're hypocrites. And that's why we all need Jesus. We're all making mistakes and bad decisions constantly. And I'm not immune to that. I'm a perfect example, actually. So, on Tuesday, after I met with the elders to talk about this message, I went to go drop off Bella at Lincoln over here um, for preschool. And as I pull into the drop-off lane, I look in the rearview mirror, and I see police lights behind me. No siren, just, just police lights. And uh, turns out I had blown right through that stop sign that's right there. And raise, raise your hand if you've blown that too. Am I the only one? Yes! Okay, it's not just me. Great. <laughs> feel a little better about it now. Um. They're working hard to keep that area safe for the kids, right? And so while the stop sign, or while I appreciate the uh, warning, and I understand getting pulled over, like, that makes sense. Didn't make it any less embarrassing to have both Matt and Stacy drive past me as I waited for the officer to run my license and registration. And the thing I'm not telling you guys is that the second those lights went on, Keep in mind, I have Bella in the back. She says, oh, not again. (laughs) So I have only gotten pulled over twice in Boone. And and the other time, I had the girls in the back seat. So she remembers that. I also had Braxton in the back seat. um, And we were pulling up to the Beans place. um, And we're about to park in front of their place, which if you don't know Ed Bean, he's one of our elders. So the only two times that I've gotten pulled over in Boone were in front of the elder's house and in front of my daughter's preschool. (laughs) So nobody's perfect, right? (laughs) To be clear, 
This is nowhere near the extent of me messing up on a regular basis, right? It's just one of the more recent examples. So I'm constantly falling short of God's standard. In fact, the only consistent thing about my actions is that I sin constantly, right? And we all do. We're all inconsistent. We all sin constantly. And if you say you don't, you're lying, which is also a sin. So there you go. Later on in Romans 3, Scripture says that none of us is righteous. No, not one. It also says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So when any of us rub someone's nose in their failures and their sin, we are just making hypocrites of ourselves, which is one of the main reasons why a lot of people can't stand Christians. The fact of the matter is that we are all held to God's perfect standard, and no one measures up. No, not one. And in that truth, we're all on level ground when it comes to sin. No one's person, no one person's sin is any worse than anyone else's sin. Sin is sin is sin. End of story. Let's move on to our next point here. Um, <clears throat> second point is God's standard excludes, or third point, whatever we're on, I don't remember. Second, yeah, there we go. God's standard excludes no one. Verses 6 through 11. He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. So a quick note to remember, um, verse 6 is another one of those verses that can be a little bit confusing. So Paul is not saying in verse 6 that our works can save us. If anything, the, this verse and the whole section around it is saying exactly the opposite, that we are all going to get what's coming to us, right? We're going to reap what we sow. Because we know that none of us has lived a perfect life, per perfect life except for Jesus, right? This section specifically includes the Jewish people that Paul is calling out here. And he also calls them out at the beginning of the chapter in verse 4, where he says, Do not presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. So Paul is calling them out of their privileged indifference toward trusting Jesus. Many Jews thought that their heritage as a Jewish person would redeem them because God had always, throughout the Old Testament, consistently, he had shown kindness, patience, and forbearance to Israel. But God's consistent grace for Israel was meant to lead them to repentance, not privileged indifference and apathy. The Israelites don't receive salvation through their Jewish heritage. They receive it through fulfilling God's holy standard, just like everybody else. 
Israel isn't excluded from the judgment that comes from falling or failing to meet God's perfect standard. No one can fulfill God's standard except by trusting Jesus who has fulfilled God's standard. Jesus says in Matthew 5:17, "Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them but to fulfill them." Just because Paul is specifically calling out people of Jewish descent doesn't mean that we're excluded from that criticism either. So hear this, as as believers, we take God's kindness, patience, and forbearance for granted on a regular basis. We can sometimes go days or even weeks without acknowledging our sin. We struggle with privileged indifference just as much as Israel did. But God's kindness, patience, forbearance needs to bring us to a place of repentance and appreciation for the freedom that we have in Christ on a regular basis. So a practical way to do this, as a worship leader, first thing came to mind, was to make an effort during worship each week. Or even throughout the week, when you listen to worship around the house or in the car, to acknowledge the reason Jesus had to die on the cross. He did it for us. Because he loved us enough to die for us while we were still sinning against him. Romans 5.8 says, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And that sacrifice covers all of our sin, past, present, and future. That's worth worshiping him for. So don't miss out on that. Our next point is that God's standard is consistent. Verse 12 through 15. Now, this section can get a little muddy if you're not careful, so I'm going to try and simplify it, but we'll read through it first. So, verse 12 says, For all who have sinned without the law will also perish perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it's not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are law to themselves even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. So Paul likes to do this ABBA pattern where he over-explains and mansplains it. Um, and this section touches a bit on the concept of general revelation that Matt talked about last week. So you can go back and listen to that if you want to, but the long or short of this passage is that whether someone has access to the law or not, or like what God's righteous standard is, whether they have access to that or not, sin leads to condemnation, and obedience leads to justification. That never changes. I can say that again for people that are vigorously writing stuff down. So, <laughs> um, sin leads to condemnation. Obedience leads to justification. Every time. Never changes. So someone who lives in an indigenous tribe like Papua New Guinea or something is held 
to the same standard that we are in this room. And that can seem pretty unfair. And when I was studying this passage, it helped for me to remind myself of Psalm 19. So I want to just read that together right now. Um, David wrote this way back in the early years of Israel having kings, but you can see the Holy Spirit working through David's observations of the world around him. So Psalm 19 verse 1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to, to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is no, there's nothing hidden from its heat. This is where it gets good. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter, than, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors, declaring, declare me innocent from hidden faults? Keep back your servant from, also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and redeemer. So David is known as a man after God's own heart. And when I read that, I see a man who lived long, long before Jesus, but somehow understood God and trusted in his goodness for salvation, despite not having the full picture. God's creation and the blatant attention to detail and design leave us completely without excuse. Hebrews 11 also says, it shows us this hall of faith, that shows these, these characters from the Old Testament that um, lived a life of faith. And it proves God's goodness and redemption for those who put their hope and trust in him. Everyone from Abraham to Moses to Rahab the prostitute that put their hope and trust in God, they were counted as righteous for their faith in God. And faith, by definition, is the evidence of things not seen especially the full revelation of the Bible, Old and New Testament. So they trusted on God. They didn't have the whole, the whole picture, but they trusted on God anyway. So throughout all this, God's holy standard never changed. Jesus simply fulfilled it in a way that no one else could possibly hope to do. Again, in Matthew 5.17, Jesus says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Jesus did what we could never do. He completed every iota of the law. God's holy standard 
is consistent, unchanging. Or as Harvey Dent should have put it, God's standard is unbiased, unprejudiced, fair. It doesn't change with the times. It doesn't compromise. It makes no exceptions. It is always consistent, no matter what. Jesus fulfilled that standard for us. And he chose to use that perfect life to redeem everyone from our imperfections. Our last point comes from verse 16, and it's that God's standard will be upheld. God's standard will be upheld. Verse 16 says, On that day, when according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. Guys, in the end, God knows our true heart, the good and the bad. And in the end, God is judge, not us. Not the culture, not our surroundings. God is judge. Ecclesiastes 2, 13 through 14 says, All has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. There's absolutely nothing that we can hide from him. Don't fool yourself into thinking that you can trick God into justification or salvation by doing the right thing more than the wrong thing or by being a good person. I'm always surprised to hear how many people think that in order to get to heaven, I have to be a good person or do more good things than bad things. Go out there in the street, ask people how to get to heaven. It feels like seven times out of ten, if not more than that, that is the opinion of people. How much does our world need Jesus right now? It's never been the case, and it never will be. How would you even keep track of that? (laughs) How would you keep track of if you've been more good than bad? There's no app for that. Especially when the world's standard of good and bad is consistently changing. God's Standard is God's standard. And since Jesus fulfilled it, in the end, submission to his actions are our only means of salvation. Only you and God know whether you have truly repented and believed on Jesus for your salvation. That's between you and him. We talked in Connection Group last week about how hard it is to share Jesus with people and then not know what's going to happen to them next. If God, if the Holy Spirit puts on your heart to share with somebody as they're passing by you on the street or whatever, and then you just never see that person again, that's between them and God. You may have just saved their life eternally. Or if you go to share Jesus with that person and they completely reject you, it's between them and God. It's not your responsibility Jesus did everything that was required, and it's their responsibility to accept that. David writes in Psalm 139, Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down. 
and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. Whether or not you have repented and believed on Jesus is between you and him. And I hope with everything in me that every person in this room has done that. There's an incredible song by Reliant K. It's one of my favorite bands. The song's called Deathbed. And it's got to be one of my favorite songs just strictly because of the storytelling of it. And it tells the life story of a man that wanders from his faith, but in the end, God reminds him of the moment he repented and submitted himself fully to Jesus. So as the band comes up, I'm going to read um, some of the most impactful words in that song, and then I'm just going to pray for us to close. So as the band comes up, I'm going to read this. This is the man saying this. He says, I was so scared of Jesus, but he sought me out, like the cancer in my lungs that's killing me now. I've and I've given up hope on the days I have left, but I cling to the hope of my life in the next. Then Jesus showed up, said, before we go up, I thought that we might reminisce. See, one night in your life when you turned out the light, you asked for and prayed for my forgiveness. You cried, wolf, the tears, they soaked your fur. The blood dripped from your fangs. You said, what have I done? You loved that lamb with every sinful bone, and there you wept alone, and your heart was so contrite. You said, Jesus, please forgive me of my crimes. Sanctify this withered heart of mine. Stay with me until my life is through, and on that day, please take me home with you. And then this is God's response to him. It says, I am the way. Follow me and take my hand, and I am the truth. Embrace me, and you'll understand, and I am the light, and for me, you'll live again. For I am love. God, help us to understand where we fall in this relationship, that you have done everything that's required for us to have eternal life with you and to not take that for granted. Help us to worship you in that throughout this week, that we would not take our salvation for granted, that we would repent of these things that we've been doing constantly. Help us to put to death our sins so that we can live more like you each and every day. God, it's not about the checks and balances. It's about the fact that you did everything necessary. And so we just worship you for that. Help us to give back to you some level of worship, at least, for who you are and what you've done in each and every one of our lives. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Thank you.